uh, we're going right back to the phones, and we're going to say hello to Mike Casaza from West Virginia 247 Sports. Hi, Mike. How are you? And appreciate your time today. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, let's let's dive into this thing. Uh, so, Coach gets two more years. Talk a little bit about the the, uh, the decision making process and and what kind of went into that, in your opinion. Kind of a longer story to to, to boil it down. Um, you know, last December, right around the middle of the month, I guess um, they started talking about it, and I guess put pen to paper January first, I think is what they say, which was a day after they beat Army by three points in the bowl game to go six and four. That even Neil Brown up at eleven and eleven in two years, but win or lose that bowl game, they were still going to go ahead and extend Brown. So, you know, eleven eleven isn't overly impressive but you know 10 and 12 certainly wasn't either and it didn't really make a difference what happened in that bowl game they were going to give their coach a two-year extension basically redraw up a six-year contract Um, and i think it's kind of indicative of what they think they think they've got something here um and they think this is going to be a big year that you know there's there's some significant jumps in money and commitments um you know the the basically the final four years of the contract are worth an additional $10 $10 million over what the final four years of the exist of the, the, the original contract were. So that's a significant um, cash there. Um, the 2021 salary is the same, so really no change there. But everything escalates pretty quickly. So I think that the idea was, hey, if I'm the athletic director, I think I got something here. Let's sit down and do this. And I think that they're going to win you know, eight, nine games, and I'm going to look really smart because I got my coach extended last year, and I don't have to sit down with him with leverage and an agent who's ambitious and, and is trying to get more money out of me now based on what he did. The, the other part of that is if it doesn't work and they go six and six or seven and five, you, you've got a situation on your hands there. So you know, a bit of a roll of the dice, but that's what AEs are supposed to do, right? Yeah, and, and it sounds like to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that yes, he's got to win, but it's also what he does off the field as a leader of his athletes. that They like the direction of the program both on the field and off the field. Absolutely. There was there was a football program here, but more like a team that played football and coaches that coached football before. Um, and that's probably too simple for uh, to explain Dana Holgerson. But when you compare it to what Brown does, Brown has like a fully functioning thing here about, you know, preparing kids for, you know, life after football. They have this thing called the fifth quarter program where when you're done with football, you're done there four years. Well, then what? And they do things like teaching kids, you know, how to do your taxes. Um, what's financial, you know, security and responsibility. You know, how do you grocery shop and make meals? And like some of that stuff sounds like kind of juvenile, but how many of them walk out of college and have no idea what to do? So they're they're doing things like that, and and recruiting has gone pretty well, um, certainly better than than maybe ever before. But you know, they they have got to keep some of those recruits. That's been an issue. But getting them on campus is a big deal. I think everybody's kind of hamstrung by the pandemic, so that's kind of cooled off a little bit. But he was doing you know high level stuff. He's been able to get good assistant coaches, which hasn't been an easy thing here before. You know, they're opening up the wild a little bit for salaries because they are getting good coaches who are turning out you know, more like all-conference-level players and maybe pro players, too. They really work with transfer portal well to get people here and, and you know, almost sight unseen by being able to sell them on you know vision, oh, a one-year deal, a two-year deal for a transfer, and that that's kind of worked out. And Just to be frank, there's there's not many – there were a lot of holes in the wall when he arrived. There's not many he hasn't been able to stick his finger in and stop and repair, which is probably as good of an explanation as any as to why he signed that new deal. 
Mike, where's the excitement level at right now for this spring game, considering it's going to be the first for a lot of these players and some of the coaches? Yeah, I was looking at this. Um, 85 scholarship players, 43 will be playing in their first spring game, which is outrageous. And they're not even at 85, so they're more than half of their team um, has never played in a spring game. And I don't think you're you're concerned about that, like, oh, man, they're, they're going to tank because they're not used to it, the pressure's too much. It just shows how young their roster is. Now, granted, they didn't have one last year, but that means that guys like two years ago, never mind last year or this year, early enrollees or people who were freshmen or junior college transfers last year, even guys who were quote-unquote old, they're still sophomores and juniors, right? And that's the core of this team, like I said, more than half. So I think there's a curiosity as to you know, kind of turn over the calendar a couple times and, and seeing how much better everybody's gotten you know, with a season or two seasons or three seasons under their belt. Um, they, they've Again, they've recruited well. And they've got some skilled position guys on offensive defense that they want to see take over you know, two deep spots. Certainly there's a couple of starting spots on both sides that, that are up there for someone to take, and could recruits do that? But to be honest with you, like, it, it's been a very tame, I would say almost like underwhelming spring so far. They just kind of had 14 practices and a couple of scrimmages mixed in. Coaches have been very careful you know, not to get too over the top with praise and, and the racing of expectations. I think that's been a problem with theirs before. They've they've been so eager and happy to talk about their team and guys they like that. I think it let some of the the projections get out of control, and that wasn't fair to maybe the players or a position or a side of the ball because fans took the ball and ran and thought great things were going to happen. And as as they prove it, it's it's kind of taken some time to turn the barge around here. But I I think that a lot of people are hopeful that it's situated and it's ready to take off now. When you consider that youth, who is the one that's going to be able to step up and replace the void left behind by Darius Stills? Probably Akeem Mesidor. He was you know, kind of an all-conference level player last year. He's on the all-freshman team, and if he had played more snaps that weren't available to him because of how good their line was, you're looking at an all-Big 12, first-team, second-team kind of guy. They're going to plug him in the middle um, and play nose guard, and, and it's going to look different. He's not Darius Stills, but he's a physical specimen there. And, um, you know, they still have Dante Stills back. Those are two, like, defensive tackles, and they're going to kind of tag and play that nose guard, which honestly isn't really like a nose guard. We think nose guard. We think of, like, a 320-pound guy in, a, in an odd front. It's going to be an odd front, but they're, they're going to shade and do stuff to make sure they can get these, these big, nimble guys you know, in between a guard and a tackle or a center and a guard rather than, you know, lining them up face mask to face mask and hoping you can overpower them. These guys are, are twitchy and shiftier and are probably going to be able to do some things. Um I think that's another thing people are excited about, too, is that for the longest time, defensive line play in West Virginia was not something you put together. And they've had you know freshman All-Americans and all-conference players and you know, conference-of-the-year-level players you know, the past three, four years, you know, former coaching staff and current one, and that's kind of a new fit, and people kind of like it. So can they continue it? We'll see. But that's certainly something that people are, are intrigued by, I think. On the offensive end, we know what Letty Brown is capable of, do, capable of doing out of the backfield. Who are some of the other running backs that we should be aware of to keep an eye on? Yeah, they really only other have two guys. Uh, one was Tony Mathis, who carried the ball 18 times last year, and that was all in the first game. Uh, another guy is Avaria Sparrow, who was a pretty good high school wrestler, uh, decided to go out for the high school team with his friend his junior year, and they said, wait a minute, you're not a linebacker, you're a running back. And a year later, he was rushing for 2,000 yards in Orlando for the undefeated state champion. So, um Neither one of those guys really got it going last year, and it's because Brown was so good. To be frank with you, the you know the the sand timers upside down for Mathis and Sparrow, 
they have two very, very good recruits coming in. Uh, one's a four-star and one's a guy who probably should be a four-star, and he's playing his senior season right now. If he would played it in the fall, he'd be a four-star. Um, two of the seven or eight best running backs, I forget what the ranking is, but you're talking about running backs of West Virginia. You're talking about guys like Noel Devine, uh, Jason Gwaltney, some, some high-level players. Um, so they have a pretty legitimate top ten all time, and these guys are, like I said, top seven, top eight. Um, and not a whole lot in front of them as far as like competition, never mind experience or statistics that'll keep them off the field. So I think you'll see guys like Jalen Anderson and Justin Johnson. That's the two freshmen that they'll be involved in the fall, but maybe less so if Sparrow and Mathis have a good day on Saturday. They've had a good spring too. They've really kind of kept Brown in a pitch count, so to speak, because what do you have to learn from him, right? Um, so they're kind of giving those those other guys a chance, and I think they've they've vindicated themselves so far, but. In a, in a scrimmage where they're going to be kind of centerpieces is, is when it has to happen. Mike, you were talking about the uh, West Virginia youth movement, if you will, and, and I was just looking at the offensive line. Now, that's, that is a young, young group. Yes. <laughs> Better, though. Um, they've recruited there pretty well, too. Guys that they liked, they locked in on, that they think will work out. Uh, they added a transfer from Virginia Tech, a guy named Doug Nestor, who started as a true freshman and then played a lot last year. Um and they've had guys who have played again. They, just, they were they were undercooked at a couple of positions the last few years, and offensive line is one where they had to play guys. You know, they were playing redshirt freshmen, true freshmen, starting last year uh, at left tackle and left guard. That's just the left side of your line, which kind of important for college football, right? And that was a redshirt freshman, the true freshman. Uh, their center is going to be new this year, but he was you know their left guard last year. Their right guard and right tackle is kind of up in the air right now. The thing is that they have candidates. I don't think there's a great gap between leading candidate and the maybe the the least serious of the most serious candidates. I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, they have a group of maybe eight or nine or ten guys, and you know, there's two or three that probably are ahead of the class, but from the middle of that pack to the bottom of the list, uh, you're right, not a lot of experience, but I don't think talent or potential is a great gap there, and that's good news for them because that was something they really had to rebuild upon changing coaching staffs. Mike, last thing I have for you here is, uh, is Jarrett Dougie going to be the starting quarterback, or could you see Garrett Green stepping up and kind of pushing him for that role? Yeah, I don't think Saturday's going to go much toward it. I, I really think that they're not going to let Daigie lose the job. More importantly, let Green go out and, and spin it. You know, He's a runner, a dual threat, a quarterback draw, an RPO guy. I don't think they're going to let him do that stuff and, and create an impression that lasts the entire summer. I think they know what he can do, and it's different. They can put packages in for him and throw change-ups and curveballs at people, You know, pitch left-handed, so to speak, instead of right-handed. I don't think they want the fans seeing that because if he does well – and the defense that you know we think is going to be good can't stop this redshirt freshman quarterback. And you see Daigie, who's you know pretty average, you know accurate, doesn't overwhelm you with numbers, and gets sacked and hit a lot. People are going to be clamoring for a change. So um, I do think that it's potentially a situation in the camp, uh, and certainly in the season. You know they have they have two pretty big non-conference games, Maryland and Virginia Tech early on. And if they're one and one or zero and two, and they don't get off to a good start in the Big Twelve. Um, He's not coaching for his job, Neil Brown. He's got a nice six-year contract, but he's certainly coaching for the future, and why wouldn't you make a quarterback change there? That's potentially a thing in the fall. I just can't see that being the result of what happened Saturday because I don't think they're going to want that to happen. Hey, Mike, we appreciate the time. Uh, great insight to West Virginia football. What can we uh, find on uh, West Virginia 247 Sports? Well, we'll have a whole bunch of uh, pregame coverage tomorrow, live coverage, and then afterwards it's been a pretty busy offseason for basketball with transfers coming in and out, which uh, – 
think you guys have basketball solved in your neck of the woods. So West <laughs> yeah. Virginia is trying to catch up by using the transfer portal. And I think kind of borrowing from the Drew playbook of getting older guys in there and developmental players who don't mind sitting out and getting better. It's a way to do it, and now there's proof for it. So kind of copying the blueprint here, I think. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Anytime. Talk Take to care. you soon. Mike Casaza from West Virginia 247 Sports.